And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it's uh, Tuesday as we get this week underway. Of course, earnings now really the front focus of the markets as well as some economic data as well this week. Um, but this morning, Bank of America reporting earnings better than expected. That's going to give a boost to some financial stocks this morning, lifting futures. Right now, uh, S&P's up about 16 points. Uh, Dow's up 128. Now, this is following a late-day rally yesterday. Uh, markets kind of flip-flopped around in you know, positive-negative territory yesterday. And uh, right at the end of the day, uh, a fairly decent rally into the end of the day, pushing uh, the markets you know, back into positive territory this morning. We're going to move higher again. Uh, we closed yesterday right at 41.50. So that gives us about 50 more points to go here uh, towards our initial target of the, of the uh, 4,200, which is kind of that uh, high that we saw back in uh, early in January. So again, you know, we're just kind of really trapped in, in the kind of this big trading range that we've been in here for a while. But market continues to establish higher lows and higher highs, and that's all good news and suggests that markets are going to continue to try to travel higher here, at least in the short term. Buy signal still in place. Market is getting a little bit overbought here. Uh, so that's just one thing uh, to pay attention to. We're going to get a correction here. We're going to get a pullback. Uh, so again, if you're looking for an opportunity to add some exposure to portfolio, just be patient here. You'll get it. Um, no, no need to, to chase things right away. Um, again, just markets getting a little bit ahead of themselves. And one way to, to kind of look at this in, in a bit more detail is the volatility index is, has, has actually been very interesting as of late because you know, despite the you know this market that's that's traveled up to around 41.50, and it's been it's been a fairly decent advance here, but it's not huge. Uh, the volatility index has just been absolutely crashing. In fact, yesterday we closed um, below 17 on the volatility index. So again, a a fairly significant decline in market volatility, and uh, and again, you know that volatility index is just a measure of kind of fear and greed, right? So. When volatility is falling, that's basically investors not really, you know, you know, not really preparing for any type of market downturn or market crash. They're not concerned about market risk, so volatility gets suppressed. When market volatility is spiking, which normally occurs during a sell-off, that's when investors are much more concerned and they're buying options to protect themselves against a market decline, et cetera. So that's why you see these, these kind of spikes in the volatility index when turmoil kind of erupts in the markets for one reason or another. But really, since the Silicon Valley bank crisis, which is where this last spike in volatility was, uh, the market's just been drifting lower. I mean, as soon as that Silicon Valley bank happened, it was pretty much, okay, yeah, that event's done. We're, we're finished. Uh, the banks are fine. And markets are, are and volatility has declined since markets have, of course, uh, likewise rallying. And that's just kind of an interesting note about this market because there's so much negative sentiment. I posted a chart out yesterday on Twitter and I just made the comment. I said, look, if you look at historical trends from where markets tend to bottom, October marked the bottom. And, and it got a lot of pushback because in, in, you know, a lot of people just like, no, that wasn't the bottom. The next crash is coming. We're going to have this recession. We talked yesterday about this idea of a rolling recession. 
I'm expanding on that a bit for this weekend's newsletter as well. But, you know, there's this whole idea that we're going to have this event coming up that's going to just knock the bottom out of the market. Maybe that's the case, right? I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm just saying as investors, we also have to be at least open to the idea that maybe, you know, the, the economy is going through this kind of a rolling recession and we're, and we're hitting all these kind of crises along the way in, in little doses that's allowing the market to absorb them rather than just kind of panic selling all at once. Because remember, markets are all about buying and selling. And, and, and ultimately, it's, it's a function of what do investors think. And we keep kind of having these little hits of volatility. In fact, if we just go back and look at this chart, um, you know, over the last couple of years, we can you know, see these little hits in the markets. And, and in all of last year in particular, the market would rally and then we'd fall off, right? We would, we would rally as an example, and the, the market would you know, run into a Fed Powell rate hike comment or there would be some event uh, economically or whatever. And we'd have these little spikes in volatility that led to sell-offs in markets. But none of these volatility spikes were really all that large. We never really got above 35-ish or so on the volatility index. And of course, this is compared if we go back and look at, of course, like at you know, 2020, you can see the magnitude of that volatility spike that we saw back in in, uh, in March of 20 when, 2020 when we shut down the economy, that volatility spike got up to almost 89 at that point. So far and away above, you know, these little spikes in volatility, we've had them, right? But all of, during the course of last year where the market was correcting from really being egregiously above its long-term trend and then kind of correcting back to its, its kind of long-term trend, you know, we've had these little spikes in volatility, but nothing to the magnitude that you see normally during, you know, some type of economic or, or some type of catastrophic event in the markets. You know, obviously back in 2008, uh, we saw a very similar spike to what we saw in 2020. You saw kind of spikes along the way that got up to around 50 uh, in the volatility index during events that we had where we had Brexit as an example. Um, we saw a spike in volatility. We saw spikes in volatility during the whole debt ceiling default issue back in 2011. So there have been these periods that have caused some concern. And these, these were kind of exogenous events that hit the market from a very unexpected basis that caused these spikes in volatility. And we just haven't had that over the last year. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that from a market perspective, we haven't had an event yet that has come along that has really just kind of knocked the market off its feet. And you would have thought that, for instance, this whole Silicon Valley Bank thing, right? You got a bank failing. That's obviously a throwback to 2008, but that was absorbed very quickly. Credit Suisse um, was a passing headline in the night and markets barely even responded to that. So again, a very different kind of market environment than what you would expect. And this is one of the things that make it so challenging for investors right now to navigate the markets because again, it's just not the issue that you would expect. These, these kind of big macro events that are going on, uh, this idea we're gonna have a, a, a fairly deep recession, which is certainly a possibility. I'm not saying that's a, 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 a not a possibility because it is. Um, the, the Fed's hiking rates, where we've got slowing economic growth. I mean, you know, the, everything is there for a fairly deep recession, but the markets certainly don't think that's the case right now. And they're certainly not worried about it. So this is the challenge that we have as investors, that we have to try to navigate this 
and not allow, and we've spoken so many times here about not allowing your emotions to get the better of you. And I'm just getting, you know, again, you know, if I post something, I always try every day on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Lance Roberts, you know, every day I try to post something bullish, something bearish. Um, and again, it's just this whole idea of trying to view the markets from different angles so we don't get confirmation bias. And it's always interesting, the comments that I get, you know, for one way or the other, right? If I post something bullish, I just get a whole line of, of very negative comments about why that can't be the case. If I post something bearish, I get a lot of comments about why that can't be the case. But that's the confirmation bias. You know, if you're, if you're glued to a side of the argument and can't evaluate and appreciate an opposing item that doesn't agree with you, that's a risk to your portfolio, that's a risk to your money. And that's why, that's why I try to cover these for you on a regular basis. And, and this morning, we're gonna get into this whole massive surge in money markets and what that means really for the markets, or is it an issue at all? Right? We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. It's also an article we have posted on our website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be. And knowing how health insurance works after you leave your job is vital. Our next Lunch and Learn will tackle transitioning to Medicare. Thursday, May 11th with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. How will Medicare work with the insurance you already have? What are the deadlines you need to know for signing up for Medicare? Register now for our Transitioning to Medicare Lunch and learn with Ratliff and Rosso at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show And welcome back to the show this morning. So one of the uh, kind of the interesting bylines of, you know, this market as of late is if you take a look at negative sentiment as an example, and, and there's such a, a large amount of it right now in terms of sentiment and, you know, how people are positioned they're very negative on the markets. And again, certainly understandable, right? It, it, you know, you take a look at all the headlines and obviously the Fed's hiking interest rates and, and the, 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 the negative inverted yield curves, et cetera, so forth and so on. So there's plenty of reasons to be negatively biased to the markets. And of course, whenever this occurs, one of the aspects that always kind of pop out in terms of the mainstream media is this whole idea of the the mounds of cash sitting on the sidelines and that just any moment now that cash is going to come running back into the financial markets and 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 is going to just cause the markets to explode higher but there's an interesting you know what what they never tell you is they never look at well who owns this cash Right. And where's this cash been? And where is it coming from? Right. So these all these type of questions. And, you know, so you have to come back and kind of reevaluate 
this whole idea of money market funds. And lately, there's just been a lot of headlines about the massive surge in money market funds, right? No doubt. With money markets yielding over 4% in a lot of cases, uh, Apple yesterday just announced their new online savings. They want to be top of wallet for you if you're an Apple iPhone user. And they're now uh, offering out, I believe, 4.5% on money market funds. Sounds good. A lot of people will certainly throw some cash into that. But the question now becomes, though, okay, now they've got cash in that money market account. What are they going to do with it? Right? Well, what the financial media says is, is they're going to take all that money out and throw it back into the stock market. And that's going to cause asset prices to surge. But is that really the case? So that's, that's, the, that's the juxta of the article on the website today is talking about this myth of this money on the sidelines. And, and the thing to really think about here is let's just talk about how markets work first. And, and again, I'll show you this chart real quick just so we have some context. So uh, if, if you're watching our live stream right now on YouTube, we appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe. Click the little bell icon there. If you're driving, don't try to look at your phone. Just listen. I'll explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, money market funds right now have have reached about 5.2 trillion dollars a big surge and you, you can see that money market funds just absolutely exploded in 2020 not surprising when you send five trillion dollars worth of checks to households some of it's going to wind up in the savings particularly if you're in the upper income earners Along with that, we saw the S&P 500 follow suit. Massive surge in the S&P 500 because of all this cash out there. So you see, right? See, right there? It's, that's the money market. Well, no, hold on a second. The theory is, is that if money market funds are going up, that's money waiting to come into the markets. They shouldn't be going up simultaneously. So that really kind of kills that whole theory. And there's a reason why. In the markets, there is no such thing as money on the sidelines. Brent has $100,000 in cash sitting in the bank. And Brent says one day, he's like, well, this is just stupid. I've got $100,000 sitting in the bank. I'm going to go invest it into the stock market. So he, and he opens up an account. He transfers his money from his bank over to a brokerage account, and he buys $100,000 worth of Apple. Aha! See, Lance? He just put money in the market. That drove the market up higher. Well, hold on a second. How did he get the shares of Apple? They just weren't magically created, right? Somebody had to sell them. I sold Brent $100,000 worth of Apple. So I now have Brent's money. Brent now has my shares. The market works very much like a football team, right? I can have 50 players on a team. I can only have, and the same works the same for baseball or any other sport pretty much. Um, I'm just picking on football. But I can have 50 players on my team, right? I've got offense, I've got defense, I've got second string, third string, I've got all these players in case I have an injury, whatever it is. But I can only have 11 players on the field at any one time. If I pull a player off that field, 
I can substitute another player in, but I can never have 12 players. So it doesn't matter how much money I have on the sideline or how many, I could have a thousand players sitting on the sidelines of my team, but I could only have 11 players on the field at any one time. So that's the problem with this idea of this, this money on the sideline issue is that for every buyer, there's always a seller. And again, if you take a look at the markets relative to money market funds, there's not really a big correlation, but you know there should be a very high correlation. If money market funds are falling, asset prices are rising and vice versa. But money market funds have been growing since 1974. So there's been a very steady climb. And interestingly enough, when there is a crisis of some sort, like dot-com crashes or the financial crisis, money market funds fall during the crisis. People are using that capital for whatever it is. But then it starts rising again as people are accumulating money. During periods of economic growth, people are making money and they're growing their business, etc. So there's not this negative correlation between the two or positive correlation. There's not, right? But there is a point here that is interesting because for the first time, there is a difference between the risk-free savings rate and the equity risk premium. So in other words, investors do have a choice for the first time in a very long time. Investors have a choice between the risk that they take in buying stocks versus the risk of just owning a mutual fund. So there is a case to be made where money market funds are actually sucking liquidity out of the markets. You can make that case because there is a place for it. Or if it's not sucking money out of the markets, it's certainly not attracting money to the markets. Right? Because I have a choice. And that choice is something that we haven't seen really since going back to the financial crisis. Obviously, with the Fed holding interest rates at zero and the Fed you know, doing a lot of quantitative easing, that was the whole reason of that was try to force cash out of money market accounts back into equities because of a higher yield, right? And so for the first time now, investors actually have a choice of having a higher yield. But if we take a look, for instance, at, you know, and this is kind of the whole idea, right, is that investors have all this money sitting on the sidelines and it's just waiting to come back into equities. But really, none of the statistics show this. For instance, I have a chart here of equity exposure relative to money market fund assets. That's near an all-time high. In other words, the amount of equities that people own versus their, their cash, they actually own near a record level of equities. So there's obviously, for investors, there's not a bunch of money sitting on the sidelines. Okay, well, how about if we take a look at equities as a percentage of total assets, not just equities, just total assets, not just cash. Equity is a function of cash. How about equity as a function of bonds or cash or other instruments? Near an all-time high. People are long equities, despite the correction in the bear market over the last year, however you want to dictate it, equity exposure to markets is still near all-time highs. In fact, it's risen as of late.
even as money market funds are, are, are rising. Let's take a look at a different example. Retail investors. Retail investors have very little cash on the sidelines. It's come up a little bit here as of late, but still near a record low. In other words, they have primarily their long equities. They have very little cash sitting on the sidelines. So this certainly starts to bring up this, this question about, you know, who owns all this cash, right? And as we start thinking about these different issues and what's causing it. So not surprisingly, when the Fed is hiking interest rates as, as they are now, cash becomes a lot more attractive, right? So I have a chart here of the Fed funds rate versus money market fund balances. You'll notice that whenever the Fed's hiking interest rates and interest rates go up, there's a corresponding rise in the amount of money in money market funds. Not surprising because, again, all of a sudden I've got a choice. I can go invest that capital into the markets. I can invest it in my business. I can invest it somewhere else. If I'm not getting anything at the bank, I'm more induced to go invest the money back into my business or to go buy a piece of real estate or whatever it is. But when interest rates by the federal fund and from the from the Federal Reserve get to a level that is now much more attractive because money market fund rates are coming up, not surprising, it attracts cash. But this goes back to the question that we're going to answer after the break, who's, who actually owns all this cash? If it's not retail investors, if it's not the average American who 80% of Americans can't come up with 500 bucks, who owns it? Talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So the big question... Uh all this money market, money on the sidelines, as it says, and everybody's expecting any moment now that cash is going to be running back into the markets. Again, as we've talked about, really not the case. And again, if you take a look at the average American, obviously they don't have any cash. Um, take a look at retail money market funds, mutual fund, cash levels, etc. They don't have the cash. So who owns all this cash? The... Office of Financial Research, government agency, tracks money market fund balances, and they break it down into prime institutional, government, tax-exempt, prime retail, etc. And you can go to their website, and you can actually download a chart, which I've done um, for the article today, which is on the website. And what you'll find is that the, the vast majority of that money is in institutional 
money market funds. Now, these funds are restrictive in, in the fact that they have, some of them have a, a minimum deposit of a million dollars, right? So to get into these funds, it's not your, your basic money market fund that retail investors are using because those have very low entry, you know, very low, if any, restrictions to use, right? Sweet money market funds, et cetera. So these prime institutional funds are mostly corporates, super high net worth individuals, et cetera, that have that kind of power. And think about it for a moment, right? You, you, we listen to Warren Buffett as an example. Warren Buffett comes out, has his annual report. What does he say he has in cash, right? $138 billion, whatever the number is. In cash, that's where it is. Apple has over $100 billion in cash. Where is it? There it is. So these are cash holdings of corporations for, think about it, for they, they've got to meet payroll. They've got to meet you know operating expenses, all these type of things. So they've got to have cash on hand to do this. Stock buybacks, right? Cash on hand to do this. they got to operate their business. So as their treasurers of their business, their financial officers, et cetera, they're sweeping money into these institutional money market funds where they get a higher yield on their money. But that's where a lot, but that money is never allocated to go into stocks. They may buy bonds with it, but it's never going into the stock market to take equity other than doing stock buybacks, right? But most of this is for operating capital, acquisitions, mergers, payroll, health benefits, all those type of things, right? They go on every day, right? buying and selling inventory as needed. So that's a big chunk of where that cash is. That's never coming into the market. So again, if that's the vast majority of the cash on hand, that's not slated to come back into equities, which is why during crises we see money market funds surge because corporations are preparing for potentially having lean times. They want to make sure that they've got enough cash on hand to weather the storm. So it's not surprising that we've seen a big surge in money market funds as of late because companies are concerned, right? And how do we know that? How do we know companies are concerned? Well, we can look at the CEO confidence survey, which is near one of the lowest levels we've seen since 2008. In fact, I just thought it was kind of interesting that if you take a look at this chart, all the major low levels occurred in two months. Either in the month of April, there were two events where the CEO confidence survey hit lows. The rest were all in October. <laughs> so it's actually second quarter, fourth quarter. So it's either in the second quarter that things are crappy or it's the fourth quarter things are crappy. One of the two. Most often, it's the fourth quarter of the year, which actually kind of aligns with this idea of if we're going to have a recession, it'll be in the fourth quarter of this year. All kind of aligns. But CEOs are, don't have a lot of confidence about the economic environment right now, so it makes perfect sense that they're hoarding cash, right? I don't want to be using it, and, and I don't want to go out and use it for an acquisition or a merger or some long-duration investment because I may need that cash short-term to hedge off an economic downturn where I've got to keep making payroll at a time where my sales growth declines.
Pardon me. So that's kind of the interesting sideline to all of this is that it's really the function of the market, the not not the market, but the economy and the environment that's causing these cash levels to surge. And, and again, it's not directly related to the fact that just any moment now, all that cash is going to come running back into the markets because, again, historically, that doesn't happen. So, again, just something to think about here. Again, I've gone into, you know, a, a good bit of detail on the website. If you So if you read our article today, it's called The Cash Hoard of 2023, kind of the sideline um, money myth. But, again, it doesn't, you know, the data is not really supportive of this massive run back into the equity market as cash. Now, if the market really does get some bullish kind of lift, will some of this money come back into the markets? Yes. But again, when that occurs, that just means that Brent's buying the shares, I'm selling him. Now, why does, but the market will still go up, even though that's occurring, because when the markets start moving higher, and this is how a market works, buyers and sellers negotiate. So if Brent comes in with his $100,000 in cash in the bank and market's doing really bullish right now and things are really going up, I'm going to say, yeah, you want to buy my shares of Apple? Well, they're currently trading at $100 a share. I'll sell them to you at $101, right? I've got, I've got selling power because Brent, there's a lot of people wanting to buy my shares. Again, the transaction is the same. Money's coming in. Shares are going out. So it's just I'm not putting more players on the field. The only difference is the price at which the transaction occurs. That's the differential between buyers and sellers. And this is always an important fact to remember. If everything was status quo, and this is one of the big this is one of kind of the interesting things about passive investing. If the market was truly passive, everybody was just kind of sitting on their hands, not doing anything, we're just all buying and holding, guess what the market would do? It would do nothing. It would be flatline because there's no buying power. There's no selling pressure. So what makes the market go up or down is when you have sellers outnumbering the buyers. In other words, more people want to sell than buy. It's still an equal transaction. It's still money coming into the markets and shares leaving the markets, et cetera, right? I mean, it's just that... 11 players on the field at one time, right? It's always equal in terms of buying and selling. It only matters as to what price. So if you have too many people wanting to sell, too, too few people wanting to buy, then in order for those buyers to transact a transaction, they say, well, you got to bring the price down some. I'll buy it here. Same thing occurs when you have too many buyers and too few sellers. Sellers have, have the power. Yeah, you want to buy my shares? I'm willing to sell them to you, but I'm going to sell them to you at a higher price. So the price will have to come up. And that's why we have market volatility. That's why prices move up and down. It's still $1 in, $1 out. That is always an equal transaction. The only difference is, is the price at which it gets executed. That's the important thing to remember. It's all about price. So anyway, okay, enough of that. Uh, go by the uh, go by the website if you want to read the article uh, in more detail. And this is, <clears throat> you know, kind of one of the 
you know, interesting phenomenons that go into the markets. And of course, headlines uh, always important as to what people see. But again, a lot lately about this massive surge in this money market hoard. It's not really investors, it's corporations holding the cash. Um, this morning, of course, we got lots of earnings coming out. Uh, Bank of America came in this morning. They beat estimates. That is, uh, you know, again, we're, we're kind of in the midst right now of, you know, wanting to know whether or not the banking crisis is over, right? So Bank of America this morning coming in, beating estimates. Again, the big banks, not really so much of a problem because they have diversified product lines. They're not solely tied to commercial real estate or, um, you know, consumer loans, auto loans, et cetera, that a lot of these smaller regional banks are. So looking at the major banks and going, okay, that's a commentary on the resolution of the financial crisis, everything is fine, is not really the case. This week we do have, even today, we've got numerous midsize and regional banks starting to report today. So we'll get a much better look um, at what's kind of going on. Um, in that kind of banking sector, and is it getting worse or is it getting better? So we'll have a, and we'll certainly have a much better outlook by the end of the week because this week is pretty much mostly banks. Uh, also have Netflix and other other companies out this week. Johnson Johnson um, this morning as well. So we'll talk about some of those earnings when we come back from the break. Uh, so stick around. Uh, be sure to get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our article uh, on the money market myth, money on the sidelines myth. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so stock features up a smidge this morning um, as a little bit better than expected earnings coming in uh, from a couple of companies. Bank of America is up about 2 and almost 3% this morning. Um, before the bell, they beat their first quarter earnings estimates and top and bottom line as, of course, rates are, have risen. That means that they get more net interest income, particularly when Bank of America pays you zero on your money market fund and they're collecting 4 4.5% from the Fed. That works out really well for the bottom line. <laughs> So uh, them, as like J.P. Morgan, um, are doing well. Johnson & Johnson this morning also topped results uh, and estimates. They raised their 2023 guidance. Um, that stock is up about 2% on uh, this morning pre-market. 
Netflix is going to be announcing After the Bell today. They've been in a very different mode as of late. Rather than focusing on subscriber growth, they're now kind of focused much more on efficiencies and trying to make the company more profitable because they're becoming a mature business. They have to now. So it's, it's now a function where you can't be running these massive cash burns constantly trying to grow. You've now grown. You're a fully mature business, so now you've got to become a more operating business than anything else. So that's really going to kind of been the idea of Netflix as of late, trying to focus more on making money over subscriber numbers. So we'll see, right? They've done a couple of crackdowns here. They've, they've launched a service where you can pay for ads. Um, also, password sharing crackdown. How has that been working out for them? And, you know, really, honestly, is as the content been compelling enough to attract new subscribers? In my personal opinion, no. But, you know, people will watch anything these days. So there you go. Um, Goldman Sachs uh, earnings out this morning had a actually beat on estimates, but revenues were light. And so that stock is, is down a, a tad this morning. And, um, you know, so, you know, we'll see how this goes. Part of what's lifting, part of also what's lifting the markets this morning, again, the S&P's up about 16 right now, um, is China's GDP rose at 4.5% in the, in the quarter. Now, again, you have to remember how, G, how China announces GDP. So in the United States, we announce... GDP 30 days after the end of the quarter. So it takes 30 days to try to gather some information and then produce the first GDP number. Well, that first GDP number is based on basically blue chip analyst estimates because there's really not any data in. So the first estimate for the for the quarter that comes 30 days after the end of the quarter is really just a, a roundup of estimates. Then following that, over the next two months, at the end of each month, we get the updates as real-time data is coming in. So we get the first estimates. It's mostly the estimate of estimates. And then 30 days later, you revise that estimate. Then 30 days later, you revise that estimate again. And so that's your, your quarterly number. And then a year later, we revise that number again as we've now collected all the data. So we now know what we're working with. And so you have these annual revisions. That's the way we do it in the U.S., in China, 15 days after the end of the quarter, right, quarter ended March 31st. Today is April the 18th. We get the first quarter report. So 15 days after the end of the quarter, China reports GDP. GDP was 4.5% this quarter. It is never revised ever again. So somehow, miraculously, China has figured out to have a real-time finger tap on the economic pulse, and they have all the actual economic data 15 days after the end of the quarter. They have that much intelligence on their economy. We don't have that because it takes us three estimates, 90 days, and then a year later, and we are still kind of guessing at it. But China, 4.5% GDP, that's a fact. You better take that to the bank, buddy, because... I said that's the case. Of course, it's not the case. But that's the way it goes. But anyway, China's uh, number, GDP number, rose. And so that's giving a little bit of lift, obviously hoping that if China is growing, then that will feed back into the U.S. economy. That will help keep the U.S. economy out of a recession. 
you know, so goes so goes the world as as we go. But that's the that's the hope right now. Again, futures are pointing a little higher this morning. Um, one of the things that you know, again, as we kind of get into this week, numerous reports are coming out. In today's daily market commentary, it's on the website now. Uh, so if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the Insights tab, Daily Market Commentary link. Make sure you subscribe to that. We send that every morning at 7.30. Um, I actually listed kind of – normally I only hit the the big companies, like a billion dollars or more in revenue. But this morning I listed, you know, a numerous companies are reporting earnings today because most of them are small to mid-sized banks. And so that's, that's what I'm saying earlier is that this is going to give us a little bit of a, a touchy-feely, so to speak – on whether that banking crisis that we saw with Silicon Valley Bank was a one-off event, which right now everybody's treating it as it was, or if there's actually more to this. Again, that's not going to show up in the major banks. That's not going to show up in Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, or Goldman Sachs. They have, they, they have very diversified portfolio lines that can offset banking risk. Smaller, mid-sized banks don't have that. So just something to, to keep a watch on over, over the course of the day after the bell. Um, and then again, the rest of this week, we're going to have numerous kind of numbers coming out. So again, prepare for some market volatility. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Um, okay. Outside of that, uh, Lockheed Martin also up this morning, about two and three quarters percent as well. And, and, and again, we're just trying, you know, as we kind of see this, you know, Lockheed, share, uh, Lockheed Martin, um, they posted first quarter earnings results that beat estimates, top and bottom line. Again, not surprising. We have lowered estimates so much. It is not surprising we're going to see these companies beating these estimates. And everybody's going to go, woohoo, all these companies are beating estimates. Well, not really, because if you left them where they were last May, pff, they ain't getting close. <laughs> they're, they're not even in the ballpark. They're, they're not even in the parking lot. They're in the next door parking lot. Of missing it but because we've lowered these estimates so much we get to post these headlines Lockheed Martin beats estimates stocks up one percent this morning really be sure and dig down below the headline numbers where even though they're beating estimates where were their earnings last year are they actually making more money? Are they making less money? Is their revenue growing or is it not growing? What is their profits versus last year? Those are the things that you want to pay attention to, right? If you're buying a stock on expectations of profitability, make sure you're actually buying profitability. I'm not saying Lockheed Martin's doing that. I'm just saying, you know, you have to look below these headlines that come out and saying, well, you know, everything's great. All these company, every every company's coming out it's beating estimates. Yes, because it's millennial earnings season. We've lowered the bar. Everybody gets a trophy. Woo! But what's it really telling you? Now, that's from an investment standpoint, right? If you're looking to invest long term into a company, you have to do the work. And I thought this was interesting. I received an email this morning. I talked about uh, a couple of days ago on the show that a gentleman had emailed me and said. You know, hey, what's one book you can read that would make me a better investor? I said, Securities Analysis by Benjamin Graham, 1934 edition. It is the Bible of investing. If you want to know how to invest and how to invest long term, that is the book you read because it teaches you how to analyze a stock. It's a very thick book. So the response I got, of course, was, well, 
That's a very thick book. Is you know, it's, it's, it's too long. Didn't read right. TLDR. That's the that's the new tagline on tweets. Right. Too long. Didn't read. Give me the summary. Give me the Cliff's notes. I mean, this is how we've devolved our society. We don't want to learn and to educate. Right. We just want to. We want the quick answer. And so I got an email yesterday saying, "I heard you recommend the Securities Analysis uh, by Benjamin Graham. Is there another book <laughs> to read?" No, it's the book. It's like saying, look, you know, is there another book I can read other than the Bible, right? <laughs> you know, I know the Bible's long, right? There's the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's, there's lots of stuff in there. It's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It tells you everything that you need to know to be a good human being, right? And how to have a good society. And, of course, we don't want to read that because it's too long. we got to try to figure out the synopsis version. Look, if you want to educate yourself and be a better investor, you got to put it into work, right? There is no quick answer. There's no easy answer. You know, Yeah, you can buy books that will teach you to trade options, you know, how to trade options and, and build wealth quick overnight. You treat the market like a casino, the market will treat you like a casino. I, said, I was talking with Adam Taggart last weekend talking about this very specific thing. If you treat the market like a casino, it'll treat you like a casino, and the house always wins. And you're not the house, right? You're the better. And that's just the way it works over time. Now, if you want to build wealth, you have to do it the right way. It's slow. It's tedious. The onus is on you of saving money. The investing part only makes sure that your savings grow over time. But you'll build wealth. But there is no shortcut, easy answer to do it. Got to do the work. If you're going to do it yourself, you got to do the work. If you don't want to do that, hire somebody to do it for you that will do the work, right? And that's the differential. Anyway, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog post is up right now, newsletter, etc. It's all there for you to help you manage your money better. It's all free, of course. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Make sure that you subscribe to our Before the Bell channel also. That is where we post our three minutes on markets and money every day. That will be coming up here shortly, so make sure you're subscribed to that as well. And also subscribe to this channel here as well. We appreciate it. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Realinvestmentadvice.com.